This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I was going to actually, do you know what? Let's do it. Inside, it's the UK IGN crew. Hello, we are here. It is the IGN UK podcast. My name is Dale Driver. Today I have with me Matt Perslow. Hello. Hello. And Jesse Gomez. Hello. So we've got we've got a few things we want to talk about today, but then there's one major talking point that we're, we're going to get to later in the show. May have been hinted by the intro there is the endless search theme, the great debate. So it seems like we've... Uh, We've stoked the flame, so to speak, and you all are very passionate about this. So we're going to read out a bunch of responses, whether you're pro, whether you're, whether you're against the theme, whether you love the theme. We're going to have that, that big debate later on in the show. But first up, we've got to cover Resident Evil because Jesse and I are on the podcast and it wouldn't be a Dale and Jesse podcast without talking about Resident <laughs> Evil it, at it, some point. It always just reminds me of the one review I read about the podcast and it might be like six months old at this point, but I just remember someone saying, I always skip over the episode when Dale and Jesse talks about Resident Evil. It's just like, that doesn't happen often. It's like maybe a couple times a year. Like you can't blame us for new releases. It does feel like it's quite often, but then Resident (laughs) Evil Capcom are quite prolific with Resident Evil releases. It's not just the games. It's not just the full games. It's the DLC specifically what we're talking about today. Uh, They released it last week. It was kind of like a it wasn't stealth release, but it was like a week's notice, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, for the Ada Wong Separate Ways DLC, which we all knew was coming. If you got to the end of Resident Evil 4, Leon says the line, let's go our separate ways. It's a, it's the name of the DLC from the original game. I think it was, it wasn't on the GameCube one, but it was on the PS2. 2, yeah. 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 Um, so we all knew it was coming, but I don't think we expected it to just come out of nowhere. Mm. Like and... Uh, We've played it. I finished it. Jesse, you finished it. Matt, you've I'm played on a chapter five. Bit. Okay, so you're you're you're, you're quite a mm-hmm. way through it. Yeah, like over over halfway. Um, yeah, it's about uh, four to five hours long, I'd say. And it's, uh, do you know what? I found it bloody lovely to dive back into Resident Evil Four because I haven't played it since it it yeah. came out, and it just felt immediately like very familiar mm-hmm. again. Um, like Jesse, what do you think of it? I I was quite anxious actually because I hadn't played. Like, when did Resident Evil Four remake? release it was a little March? bit March, yeah. Yeah. yeah but i was i was quite nervous to load it up again because i haven't played it since then and i absolutely obliterated resident Evil 4 remake yeah. when it came out but then i just found how i was surprised how easy it was just to get right back into understanding those controls perfectly how the enemies work and just how i can navigate around that space and just yeah. the the new stuff that assignment ada offers or rather separate ways my bad yeah. getting another <laughs> DLC mixed up. Yeah. But um, yeah, just how they've sort of, you know, remixed another popular sort of expansion to Resident Evil 4. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Really, really yeah. enjoyed it. So I don't remember the original Separate Ways, really. Like, mm. I kind of got hazy memory of it. Um, but did they? So what they've done on this one is, um, of, so if you don't know, Separate Ways is you follow Ada's journey through the events of Resident Evil 4. So you're seeing what Ada was up to while Lee Young was off doing his stuff. And you have lots of. Um, Back to the Future 2 style moment scenes where you see Leon's <laughs> perspective from a different perspective. Yeah. And, uh, which is which is kind of cool. Like, I do think it does make fe- Leon's journey feel like it went a lot faster than it yeah. actually did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I felt like a few times. But what I don't remember if they did this in the original, but what they've also done is, um, well, I know they didn't do this in the original because they've taken scenes from the original that didn't make the cut for the remake and they've included them into separate ways. For example, you might have seen it from the trailers. There's um, the laser grid hallway, which yeah. was obviously a very iconic scene in the original Resident Evil 4 and didn't make the cut. 
is now in separate ways. I'm not sure. Do you remember, Jesse, in the original Separate Ways, did they have a scene like that? I don't think they did, but they, yeah, like you said, they've sort of mixed around certain things and they've saved certain bits that even was like in the original and then, you know, brought it back for this. There's um even one boss in particular, U3. And if you ever remember playing Resident Evil 4, it's sort of like that really disgusting I don't know, scorpion-looking yeah, fleshy guy. it was guy. the one that was in, like, a floating prison cage thing. And yeah, you had, and they uh, keep like, door sequences down. that you had to sort of, like, run through. Yeah, it was a bit of a clunky thing from the original and it kind of made sense that they cut it, to be honest. But it's not actually, like, that sequence that's in the game. Like, they've done a remix. Of yeah, it, yeah. They, they, they've turned a, another enemy. They've sort of combined two bosses yeah. into two different forms for this, which was kind of, like, a nice surprise because there's just certain elements that were missing from the OG RE4 campaign. I was like, yeah. oh, it's a shame I didn't actually get to experience this, but now it's in separate ways. It's a thing I've always appreciated about Resident Evil remakes is the, um, they, they're very always respectful of the past, but they're always, they like to, uh, um, how do I phrase this? So they pay attention to the idea of like, we know you remember these sequences, but we're going to adjust them slightly so you can get enjoyment out of the anticipation of what's going to come and when it's not going to come. Yeah. I think it, I think it's quite like, yeah, it's respectful to the source, but it's also exciting for people who know these stories beat for beat. Like for example, the Dead Space remake, like you knew exactly every beat in that game already if you knew the original. Whereas yeah. this one, it's the anticipation of, I wonder if this is going to go the same way. Oh, it hasn't. How is this going to change? And I think it, it adds that new extra little layer to it that I really enjoy. Yeah. Matt, was, um, what, what, do, what do you think so far? Uh, yeah, so what I will say, I think I'm at that boss. Uh, that boss, I think, comes in the chapter that I'm on with the scorpion tail. I remember very, very little of the original version, of even the original version of Resi 4, because I haven't played it. I've only ever played it once. I don't have yeah. this kind of thing. So a lot of my memory is very hazy, so it is all very new for me. I really like the way that this came it opens essentially you playing it backwards to a certain degree like you yeah. start in the castle and you're going through those environments in the reverse direction that leon goes and i like that kind of smart reuse of the map so it's stuff that you you remember and stuff that you're familiar with but you're literally seeing it from a different perspective right you are seeing it yeah. backwards rather than forwards um the boss fights i'm less so first i don't think any of the boss fights in resi 4 remake are good to begin with <laughs> um i think the dodge mechanic in this game is crap um but um when it does different forms of challenge i must say i thought the first like three chapters were a bit lacking in challenge and yeah. then the difficulty spike it's almost like it heard me say hmm, this isn't very difficult and then it immediately <laughs> put me in a room with four or five like living armor enemies yeah. and i had to fight them all oh, so God. yeah that it definitely has like difficult. a big ramp up um but it is ultimately it's doing all the things that i like that resi yeah. 4 did um yeah through ada as a character you know it's, it's nice to be able to go through these areas without having to babysit ashley yeah. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure the grapple hook is necessarily like a cool thing for its its navigation. Like it is very much a extended jump at very very specific points. But I do like it as a weapon. Like I really like being able to yeah. grapple into an enemy and pull myself over a good kind of two three meter distance and basically yeah. dive kick into someone. That's very cool. <laughs> There's a one one point I would say I don't think you might have got the option to yet, but there is a charm that you can get for your case that unlocks the ability to her, for Ada to use the grappling hook uh, to a way to disarm shields. Oh, okay, cool. It's very useful, mm -hmm. very good. Because those shields, of, if you remember the original, not the original, the remake, um, yeah, it take a few shotgun blasts to get through them yeah. sometimes. It can be quite pesky. Um, I agree with you in the grappling hook. It does, oftentimes, it feels like it has, apart from combat, it feels like it has two uses. One is like a shortcut for a ladder, mm -hmm. normally. Yeah. What yeah. It feels like. And two is... For chase sequences, it feels like a way to sort of like add a bit of excitement to a chase sequence. Mm -hmm. um, slightly disappointing because when I saw clips of the B-roll beforehand, I thought, oh, this is, the grappling core is really cool. I thought there'd be way more grapple points, way yeah. more way to like mm -hmm. nip, zip around the map. It's kind of very, very tailored to where like yeah. I think you can use it. Yeah, what it clearly doesn't want to do, and I absolutely understand why this is the case. It is DLC. It's not a brand new game. So there's, it's yeah. working within, but it's also working within the pacing of Resident Evil. Like the levels of Resi are built 
to facilitate the pace of exploration and combat, yeah. right? And if suddenly she can zip around everywhere, I would find that very cool. But I understand from like a level designer and from a director's position, you're ruining the vibe of Resi by doing that. Yeah, there are so, there are so many moments, especially when there's a one segment when you revisit the maze in a like Salazar's castle and stuff. Where I'm just thinking like. You could just go to where you need to go. Just just use the grapple hook, but obviously you still need to encounter some problems yeah. and stuff. A lot of things I've, could be circumvented with Ada just going anywhere she wants, really. I found that May section to be the worst part of the game. Yes, I same here. <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought it was um, poorly contrived, where it was just like blindly run around until you get close to something and then in, interact with it. Like and it, it didn't feel like... They were, like the original, like in the original, that whole sequence in the maze, mm. you know, it was way more puzzly. This was it was a bit silly, really. Um, I also think the pacing thing is an issue. When you mentioned earlier about the enemies, Matt, I do feel like the original had a a good ramp for mm-hmm. like difficulty in enemies, whereas this one, because they're trying to get all the enemies that you're familiar with yeah. back in the game, it feels like within twenty minutes you're on the next difficulty, next difficulty, mm-hmm. and it, sometimes like. Oh, I'd forgotten how to deal with this. Yeah, uh, those like, specific but, encounters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like all of a sudden I'm back in it again, and I didn't feel like necessarily my weapons were up to scratch sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And then, then it goes the opposite. Uh, with all Resident Evil games, it goes the opposite towards the end, where I was coming up to the final boss. I won't say much about the final boss, but I kind of because I knew the story, I got the sense of this is where the boss is. Uh, so I just bought a rocket launcher and I one hit <laughs> the boss, and that yeah. was pretty easy. I, I, I mean, did that with it, two bosses. In the yeah. <laughs> that is at least in keeping with resi right you've always yeah, got to yeah. defeat the last boss with a rocket launcher yeah i would say i do really appreciate like them changing separate ways to be more sort of reflective of like what ada's thought process was throughout you know the entire resi right. for ordeal because in the original separate ways ada's just sort of like smoke and mirrors just sort of appears and then disappears and then that's really it but here you kind of see her tangling with you know having to deal with fucking Wesker who's a prick yeah. like there's multiple times when he's like I just want to kill Wesker's everyone Wesker's a prick yeah <laughs> what that's but not been established it's just hilarious to see Ada's face be like should I really be doing this you know I allowing really, billions of people to die you really did remind me of a scene that I really enjoyed in the original Resident Evil there's a section where Mendez um, has Leon up by the throat and then Ada shoots through the window and then he's like, oh, you've distracted me. And Ada's gone. Poof of magic. But we actually see her version of events and she just zips up on top of the roof and just stands up on the roof while yeah. she's waiting. It's very much sort of like... It takes yeah, the charm away. A, yeah, lost a bit of the magic there. Like, you know, you never want to see how the card trick is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would say it was silly. nice to see more Luis as well. I don't know why. I just I find him really charming in the remake and I just I wanted to see more of him just alive. Well, he's less of a... Less of a sexual predator in this <laughs> one. Less of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's good fun though, and I, and I really um, so compared to like the village DLC, which was the Shadow of Rose, which I thought was just terrible. <laughs> like I thought this was this is a, a really like fun way of having DLC, which is just more of the same game, but you're just getting a change of perspective, and you know, and it references what you've originally paid and. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Had, had a good time with it, and I thought it was the perfect length as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Same here. And like, to be fair, for like, what was it? I don't know, like ten quid. Like, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty good considering. I don't know. Back in the day, you would have had to buy Resident Evil Four again for like forty or fifty pounds yeah, to yeah, play yeah. this if you wanted to. And it also, so, um, so I don't play mercenaries, but it comes with mercenary stuff as well. Like new characters to play in mercenaries. Yeah, yeah. Ada and Wesker. Wesker? Oh, okay. That's yeah, good. it's not bad value for money then. Uh, yeah, check it out if you if you enjoy Resident Evil Four and you, you fancy a little bit more. Then I didn't mean that to rhyme. Just did. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, other games we've played this week, we've all played. We've all worked out that we've played a little bit of Mortal Kombat One. Uh, Matt, I feel like you've maybe played the most. Uh, like maybe across a couple of different modes. Whereas I think Jesse's further in the story than I am. But yeah, I'll yeah. I'll, I'll kick us off. Um, this, it's not my first Mortal Kombat, but I am not very au fait with this series, but I really liked the look of the trailers of this, and it's been a while since I played a fighting game, and also, this is definitely more my bag than Street Fighter. I'd much yeah. rather throw, like, Same. daggers through someone's skull than <laughs> just sort of, like, fisticuffs. 
Um, and so as a complete novice, pretty much, to, to this, uh, I am having a, a very good B-movie time with this. Um, I've got no connection to any of these characters, so the fact that it's like a reboot of the universe... I know that Scorpion is the guy that says, get over here. You know, that that's <laughs> yeah. like quite honestly the extent of my knowledge of Mortal Kombat. And so the thing that there's kind of like a, like a, a hook and a sink with uh, the story mode of this, which is where most of my time has gone in that this is probably the best Marvel movie I've watched for some time. <laughs> um, the thing is, is I am mostly watching it rather than playing it. It is a story mode that, incredibly lavish the production values on this is is absurd compared to even when you look at things like resident evil 4 which have got beautiful graphical fidelity this looks astonishing yeah and when you do the fights um i do have a really good time i think you know i'm i say i cannot say whether this fighting engine is necessarily good or not you want to talk to wes or someone like that for that but i enjoy it i'm having a good time with it i'm having good knockabout fun with it but what I will say is it takes a heck of a long time to get to those fights. And oh, I yeah. really enjoy what is happening in between them as a film. But as a game, I'm like, should it really be spending... And I'm talking 10 minutes between a fight occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, this is a story of... It's, 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 you know, it is an origin tale. You begin with kind of Raiden, uh, who is not super powered at this point and he's inducted into the idea of like well there's earth realm and there's outer is it outer realm is it the other one yeah oh. well, yeah it's the outer world or outer yeah. Re- yeah yeah basically and, and they're, um, they're inducted into this tournament so you are watching like a, an origin story movie of basically people being turned into superheroes to fight yeah. in a in the mortal combat tournament and all of that i find really like giddy b-movie fun and Mm. johnny cage's element of it where he when he turns up he is literally playing um indiana jones and he's in an indiana jones movie (laughs) but his character is very much like robert downey jr but with almost like a knockoff uh, Chris Evans' face. I mean, his uh, his like stage is literally like yeah, Iron exactly. Man's house. Yeah, <laughs> e- yeah. exactly mm-hmm. that. I was just thinking, and also when you you mentioned Indiana Jones, um, so I quite like the story, but I do think there is a problem with the story for someone who is a kind of okay mm-hmm. with the history of Mortal Kombat. Like, I'll play all the games. Um, it does feel like a, quite a lot, lots of little mini episodes about how Indiana Jones got his hat, right. got his whip. <laughs> sure, you know, mm-hmm. like because there's a lot of that with characters like. They literally do it. Kung Lao is literally like how I got my hat yeah. scene. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and they do that a lot with characters, like how this person became this person. How big, and, uh, you know, I get it. It's a reboot story. But um, yeah, I feel like I did see one too many of those. Yeah, see, t- traditionally, so I don't like Solo, for example, because I really didn't need to know how uh, Han Solo got his gun and why they call him Han Solo. And, yeah. you know, like, I don't need any of that. As someone who is very au fait with Han Solo as a character... And so I imagine if I played a lot of Mortal Kombat before this, I would find this quite irritating then. But as someone that knows almost jack all about Mortal Kombat, I find this quite endearing, quite honestly. Like, I find it a real good knockabout piece of fun. So another problem with the story, I I really enjoy the story, but I do think that I understand why you can't have fatalities, but I do think those finishing moves are, you know, a key part of sure. playing Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And then in the story mode, you can't have that. So I found myself playing the story mode and then I was like, I want to just do fatalities. And I hadn't stuff even bit, thought so. of that. Yeah, like, because yeah. I'd just been doing them in the verses. Mm. It hadn't even occurred to me the fact that, like, that should be. And I guess maybe you can fatality someone at the end of the, the campaign, yeah. but... I mean, if, if maybe if that person dies in the story, mm-hmm. then it gives you the option to do it. I haven't got that far with it. Um, but, yeah, I did find myself getting a little bit frustrated. Also... The in the, in the early stage, it's quite inconsistent with when you can have cameos and when you mm-hmm. don't because yeah. of the way the story is going. And obviously, that's a big new mechanic for the game, and I wanted to play with that. So my point being is, I don't know if story mode was like the best thing to start with in this mm-hmm. game. I feel like I probably should have played versus for a little bit first, and then gone to story mode when I got bored of that. Um, that's you know that's my own problem um i will say how many times do they say madame beau in that story at the start <laughs> oh my god i heard that name about 50 times um but i do think like the mk games are like the pioneer of this kind of story mode mm-hmm. right and then injustice games obviously they do it in injustice yeah. as well i think street fight have tried to do little things like this but from what i could gather it's 
all a lot sillier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I do think, I do appreciate that we get story modes in fighting games now because there was a long time where, you know, you didn't. It was yeah. just versus yeah. and that's all you I mean, got. I think it was really like what Mortal Kombat in 2011, which I guess is Mortal Kombat 9 where they sort of, because yeah. they did like a soft reboot of the series as a whole. Yeah. And now and they're doing it with again X. with Mortal Kombat 1. Um, well, this but, one doesn't. I think this is this is more a reboot in terms of uh, the narrative. Yeah, nine felt like more of a reboot and just like completely start again. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Whereas this one, like they acknowledge. So from what I can gather, like you know, yeah, the canon is Liu Kang won last time and he became like the keeper of time and he's decided to like reset it, or he's structuring it the way he mm-hmm. knew, knows it has to be. Yeah. Uh, so there's familiarity, but there's things that are different. It, it, it's a meta reboot rather than yeah. an actual kind of like full system reboot. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I know I know it's I know it's a fighting game, but whenever like I'm watching a cutscene and then I I know the cutscene's coming to an end because they're in the exact spots of the fighting <laughs> yeah. stages. Like that really bothers me because Oh see I love I, I love how yeah. smooth it all is. Like why the does fa- that bother you? I I don't know. I just it I feel I think it's because I've spent, you know, time messing around sort of like in the MK Towers, just getting endings for specific characters or whatnot. So you see all the stages. And then when it comes to the story, like, oh, the cutscene's wrapping up now because they're both on one person stand on the left, one person stand on the right. So and what, you're upset because you can spot <laughs> the scenes? Is what you're I guess it's just like, I don't know, like it just... It, it, I know it's a silly story, but it feels too gamey at times for right. me, okay. which I know uh, sounds silly I, for like Mortal Kombat. I uh, I'm lapping that up. Like I, I <laughs> so I am astonished the fact that there's not a single load screen in this game. Yeah, like amazing. the fact that 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 uh, the whole campaign goes through without a load screen. But I love I love it when the camera the camera pans round from its normal thing, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's here we go, we're kicking <laughs> off. Yeah. But also on top of that, like I think this is really well written. Like it's not, it's not. I'm not saying it's Disco Elysium, but what I'm saying is, is <laughs> it is written for exactly what it needs to be, and yeah. its jokes, which are essentially Marvel level jokes, are better delivered than I've seen in a Marvel film for quite some time. There's just a bit where at Johnny Cage's house, which obviously, as you said, it literally is Iron Man's Miami mansion. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just like a bit where he's been fighting, uh, who's the guy with the sword? Sorry? Uh, Ken- Kenshi, Kenshi, is it? I yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. Kenshi, yeah. And like, they've obviously had a bit of a bust up and then the doorbell goes and he just opens the front door and like scorpions there. <laughs> uh, and it's just like, what is it? But it's like a perfect sort of thing about like, there's just these three fucking guy with burning eyes just at the front door waiting to come in as if they've yeah. got pizza. And just that sense of like, it knows exactly what it is. It knows it's dumb as fuck. And yeah. it really has fun with that. And I think that I find that quite, quite endearing about it. Yeah. I did crack up as soon as I saw Madame Gal just getting the shit beaten out of her. <laughs> she gets in the thrown intro. off the balcony. And, yeah, and then she's like, I'm actually all cool, which suggests, <laughs> which suggests she's like way more powerful than anyone else there. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Kenshi thing was another example, is like the backstory of how he lost his eyes. Yeah, I mean, me and my partner are waiting for that moment to happen because he's always <laughs> yeah. just been blind in every game. Then, yeah. yeah. It's good stuff like that. Uh, no, I, yeah, I think I think there's a, a lot of fun to be had. I'm not sure about the cameo stuff yet. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm mm. finding it a bit. It feels like it's not that fluid sometimes and a bit clunky. A bit tacked um, on. For me. Yeah, I think in 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 principle it's a cool idea. Um, but then also like the X-ray moves. Um, I feel like it, it, I haven't seen them all, so I don't know. But it does feel like everyone I. I do. It just pulls in the cameo and they just slam them to the ground and chuck them up and then they like they line them up. Yeah. And it never feels like there's a unique spin on that. Yeah, um, the, it's it's very much like all of those moves are your cameo person comes in and does the tackle to put you yeah. in because it's very clear that what it is is they're trying to uh, from a, from a game design perspective there's got to be every cameo has to be able to link to every main yeah. character, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's always the cameo is just there to do one thing to swing that character up into the air so that then your main character can do their big move. Mm. Say that though. It's so seamless. Yeah. 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 Unless you're playing on the Switch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Who who (laughs) plays on the Switch anyway? On Mortal Kombat, I mean. (laughs) um, The the one thing that's super impressive, I think, is how fluid and slick it is when going from the main menu to choose a versus mode mm-hmm. to actually playing. Yeah. yeah. Like the way it loads in the stage, the way it loads in the characters. Like it's incredible. Like, yeah. So if you you don't know, you haven't seen it, um, you choose the characters and the camera just like 
punches into them immediately from where they were standing. They're face to face and the background is like really soft blur and it just immediately like switches to that background whenever you chose and then it takes a second and then the camera pulls out and you're in the stage. It's just all completely seamless. Very, very impressive. Like we're, oh. we're in an era where there's loads of like really cool ways of masking kind of the load, right? Like I always yeah. really liked how... Um, Jedi Survivor and Jedi Fallen Order do the the flights yeah, in the uh, yeah. in, in the yeah, Mantis. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the most impressive ways of, of masking a load I've mm. seen. Mm. I would yeah. say I do I do kind of miss some of the more like sillier extra modes that Mortal Kombat used to have. Because I remember in a what was it? I think Deception. I think that's when they introduced Conquest <laughs> mode, which was like a just a third person action like adventure beat 'em up, or you had like. I don't know, like Mortal Kombat kart racing or Mortal Kombat chess. That's where... more like Street Fighter's vibe though, isn't it? Or Tekken, sorry, Tekken's vibe. Well, I've, but they've always had those modes. It's when they really started doing like maybe the past, I don't know, two or three releases. They just sort of ditched all like the extra fun stuff. Yeah, it was since nine, basically, when the, when they sort of rebooted it. It hasn't, mm. they've been, I'll tell you one thing that's, well, I can't see it's in the game so far. Um, and it has been in the last couple is their ridiculous like crypt exploration yeah stuff. It's, it sort of just looks like you get some coins and stuff that you can obviously spend real money on and then you just sort of just get new gear but on they, the menu but, but previously they made it a third person game where you're roaming around this yeah, yeah. Crit, this big huge area like and you spending is it just a fancy way of like getting you to unlock treasures and stuff i, th- I and think uh, that's more due to just like i don't know the nature of modern games and unlockables and stuff like that it's just like you can just spend cash now to get that stuff and it's not as interactive as it used to be or fun. I'm know. sure they did their market research, right? And yeah, got absolutely. People saying that they didn't actually want this and they didn't need to waste resources on it. Uh, but I always thought it was a bit over the top, those sort of things anyway. Um, I loved that shit. <laughs> but ultimately, like, Mortal Kombat, like... You're there to I think, I've, I think that, yeah, you're there, you're there to, ha- to see fatalities and to fight and to see, like, blurred and visceral combat <laughs> and stuff like that. And I think it, like, absolutely succeeds in doing that. Like... Mm. No, no fighting game for me. I think it's the ultimate one that feels like tactile mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. I feel like I'm feeling the weight of all these attacks, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't wait to play some more, actually. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get time with the big release window, all these games coming up soon, like all these amazing games that we want to try out. So maybe I'll come back to it later in the year, but it is good fun. Do you think you're going to finish the story, Matt? Uh, I will do, but it's the case of like, I'm about halfway through Phantom Liberty at the moment. Yeah, uh, okay. And also like the, there's about three or four massive games about to hit. Yeah. And it, I'm just in that scrabble mode at the moment, like trying to make sure I'm finding the time to play everything I want and <laughs> just recognize I'm not going to, but something's got to give, doesn't it? At some well, point. That's, that's the thing. It's tricky. Uh, for me, what's given is like Starfield and yeah. um, mm-hmm. Baldur's Gate. I'm just not even attempting them really. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, you got Assassins coming up, you've got Spider Man, you've got Mario Wonder, there's um, yeah, there's a bunch of I fucking yeah. forgot about Starfield. <laughs> I haven't yeah. thought about that game. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter for <laughs> me that that one got dropped. Yeah. I'll come back to it in a couple of years when they fixed a yeah, load of things yeah. and added a mm-hmm. load of stuff. Um one of before we get into the great debate of the endless search, <laughs> there's one other thing I just wanted to mention, and only because I just stuck it on last night. Um and Netflix are, uh, are quite good at when they've got a new show that they want you to watch or they're, you know, they're promoting it hard. It's, it's hard to avoid when you boot up Netflix. Mm-hmm. And the latest one is a new Korean game show called The Devil's Plan. And I just, it came up in my face last night. And obviously it's uh, immediately evocative of like Squid Game sort of right. presentation to a certain degree. So uh, they're definitely trying to, ca- there's a Squid Game like real show Coming yeah, soon as yeah. Well, yeah, which is unusual. Um, I thought the whole idea of that show was that we didn't want the show. <laughs> well, I was trying to explain it. So when I started what, putting this on last night, my wife um, was walking past and she said, oh, was it like Squid Game? And I was like, oh, I don't I don't think it's too much like it, Puffin. It's a Korean game show, really. But that's, you know, obviously fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, but they are making a real one. And she's like, what? They're killing people. And I was like, well, no. Like, <laughs> and then she's like, well, it, surely it's not as appealing then. I was like, well, yeah, fair point. <laughs> But we will see. Uh, but yeah, the devil's plan. Um, so I don't have a massive amount of information about this. But what I can tell you is my um, experience of watching. I watched the first episode in about 20 minutes of the second one. And there's a very specific reason why I did that. Uh, so from what I can tell, it's um, it's like a big brother house, right? Okay. So there's a big, there's a big house. And um, it, it feels like they've got 12 Korean people in there. Well, one guy is actually Canadian, but he's lived in Korea. He's a former... Um, 
uh, I think his Dota player was he league or <laughs> right. Dota or okay. something like that mm-hmm. one of those games anyway um, and uh, they are minor, minor and major celebrities it seems like and then there's a couple of people who are not celebrities at all it's weird but they do this big intro for everyone and they'll say like this person like there's a guy who's a famous uh, travel YouTuber who's got like okay. a million subscribers apparently they're all Korean so I, I don't mm-hmm. recognise any of them there's some that are TV hosts there's some that are like okay. academics there's a science YouTuber guy <laughs> who's quite annoying actually um, and then there's a couple of people that are just highly but everyone is highly educated right. it feels like everyone's done a certain level of education and I feel like that's a key part of the criteria that right. we're looking for people like who work really hard but also like because it is a game so I'll, I'll take explain in a minute, but it's a it's a game of um, your wits, mm-hmm. really. So uh, the the conceit is there's twelve people in this, and it's like a Big Brother house, and they've got these things called pieces, which are like coins, and they compete in games. There's one game, well, there's two games every day. There's one main game, and then there's a second game that only certain ones can compete in. And they've got to collect coins. If you lose all your coins, you're out, and you have to leave the house. And the, obviously, then it whittles down to finding a winner of this game. Um, the first episode only shows you one game and they do, I think, a pretty poor job of explaining the rules <laughs> of this game. So they they constantly refer to it, all the people that are in the game refer to it as Mafia game. So oh, okay, I don't know. right, yeah. So um, in this, it's called a virus game, which is like there's two terrorists, there's so many citizens, there's a journalist, there's an officer, and it's all a game of talking to people and lying to mm-hmm. people and trying to work out who's who. And oh, that's just kill. like trouble in terrorist town, right? Like that's—is that what that is? So I like, yeah. yeah, I'm not familiar with this, but the 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 people, the the contestants on this were kept saying, "Oh, it's like mafia game. It's like the mafia game." Yeah. Okay. Um, they spend about ten minutes trying to explain the rules to this, and I was just one point. I was just like, "What? I just need to see this in action because this is very confusing." <laughs> and then the whole episode—it's an hour and eleven minutes long—and I would say about fifty minutes of the episode is just them playing this game that goes on for ages. And I, there was one point I started watching, I was like, am I really going to watch all this? This does not sound interesting. <laughs> and then somehow, 50 minutes out, here I am glued to the screen, absolutely compelled, because they do it absolutely, like the way they produce the show is so clever. They reveal to the audience who some of them are, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of them they don't. Oh, okay. you, go, you go to see them select them, but they won't show you who they are. So you're playing along with the game from certain characters' points of views, trying to find out who's who. Mm-hmm. And the reason I had to watch the second part the part of the next episode is because they end on such a cliffhanger <laughs> where they call someone out as being a terrorist, they commit to them, they kill them, mm. and then it's just about to reveal whether they're a terrorist or not. And I was like, they That's absolutely great. got me. I was like, I need to watch the next one right now. And th- I watched the next episode until they finished that game and then I paused it and I'll get back to it. But yeah, it's it's early stages. I don't know what any of the other games are going to be like, but it was, I would say, if it sounds interesting, it is super compelling. Like, watch it. Um, I watched it with... Um, in Korean with English subtitles, but you can watch an English dub if you oh, want to God. as well. I feel like that'll um, make it sound real ropey. <laughs> well, I did, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, probably. But you know, like some people, you know, reading oh, subtitles might not. Yeah, be yeah, of course. Convenient. I just feel like it'll be a funnier experience to listen just to what the yeah. quality of the dub is. Like I said, I don't know if I can recommend the whole show yet, but I do mm. know it's getting some sort of minor buzz online at the moment, and um, yeah. I found the first episode really, really compelling. So I'd say, yeah, if you're interested in, check it out. Mm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So, we're going to kick off and we're going to read some people. who. So, it was Robert Andrews who originally sent in the email that sparked this whole great debate. And I want to quickly read up a follow-up from Robert Andrews after he heard someone else having a go at the theme last week. Robert Andrews just said, told you. So, he is very much in the camp of people hate this song. We have some other people who dislike the song for reasons. Jesse, do you want to read out the the first one? Absolutely. It's from Lewis McCann, who sounds like an action hero, to be fair, like a British action hero. I don't know. (laughs) Just speaks to me. Hello, IGN. Hello, UK IGN crew, rather. 
Second time I've contacted the podcast, my last email was regarding Conflict Desert Storm, and everyone who was on the podcast expressed confusion regarding the games. I don't think anyone had ever heard of it. When did that happen? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> played Conflict Desert Storm yeah, back I, in the day. So. Yeah, I did oh, there well. you go, so Matt knows. <laughs> there we go. I've been triggered to email this time due to the ongoing dispute regarding the Endless Search theme tune. Personally, I find it inoffensive and do find myself singing along to the, let's be honest, banger when driving to work. However, as lots of people do, I often listen to podcasts before I sleep, typically setting um, a 15 to 20 minute timer so I can continue listening on my commute. This was an issue when sleeping next to my partner, starting the podcast around the 20 minute mark, drifting off to the dulcet tones of the mats and cardies before being rudely awoken by inside my partner now won't let me listen to the IGN podcast before bed, as it is now known in our house as the podcast with the obnoxiously loud advert. It's not an advert. I mean, that's a very <laughs> fair point. Keep up the good work, respect the sea, respect the gravediggers, and support the NHS. Yours in broken sleep. Very sincere yeah. element at the end of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I would say that's a fair point. Like it does, the, also, mu- the music explodes. <laughs> Lewis is not the only person who has actually said that to us uh, this week. We did get lots of emails. We can't read them all out. Uh, mm. We did have lots of opinions, but there was a couple of people who did say the volume of perhaps the, the tune was the thing that bothered <laughs> them. Um, we will endeavour to try and mix it a little bit lower <laughs> from now on, I think. Uh, but, you know, that's a fair point, Lewis, but he, he still, he likes the song as well. Mm. So, so far, I think it was only, there was one person who wrote in last week who said they didn't like it as well. I can't remember who that was, but then there's Robert. So it feels like there's only two detractors. We yeah. do have another one that I realise we skipped over as well. This is from, uh, Matt, you- yeah, from, from Will M who says, just to let you know, I skip the theme tune whenever possible because it is awful and makes oh. my ears hurt. I, I would say I wouldn't mind having some sort of like lo-fi, chill midnight version of the same tune. I think that would sound quite cool. We'll message the guys in Code Marler and see if they can... Uh, can yeah, it'll, it'll sort of settle you into, you know, a nice night's sleep or a peaceful drive to work in the morning. Yeah. So they, these are these are our detractors. They're not, they're, they're not a fan of the, th- of the theme. Well, I was very much on that side, of them, but I just it's an open debate. <laughs> Um, however, we also have the pro side of the debate. I'll, I'll, I'll read up the first one. This is from Daniel Rielwalt. How do you pronounce that name? <laughs> Rielwalt? Rywalt? Rywalt. Yeah, the My favorite Rywalt. Castlevania character. Uh, Daniel says, first time, long time. Is that required to even get on the show? Uh, it helps sometimes, Daniel. <laughs> uh, anyhow, I love the show, of course. Um, or why wouldn't I be listening? Uh, when the call for the song went out, I thought, okay, what are we really going to get? And then I heard the song and I was blown away. How awesome is that song? And the guys that perform it do a killer job. I don't remember the type of music you called it. And it's probably not usually my type of music. But damn, if that song isn't awesome. Uh, the type of music is UK Garage, Daniel, which is uh, <laughs> existed in a pocket between 1998 and 2003-ish in the UK. It was very popular wow. during that time. Uh, he, Daniel goes on to say, uh, I enjoy waiting in every episode to get to the Endless Search just to hear the song. Some of the Endless Search games I dislike more because I'm too stupid to solve them. The ones, <laughs> the ones where it's a riddle, like mixing two titles together. Ugh. Uh, I'm right there with you, Daniel. Yeah, right? same. I, I hate the, um, the portmanteau ones. Um, Daniel is pro. Daniel is pro. Um, we've got a big, long one from Oliver, and he has um, some lyrics in there. Who fancies reading this one? Go on, Jesse, Jesse. you're reading it. Go I on. like the idea of you reading these <laughs> lyrics, so you're doing it. Let's make it happen. Oliver, he says, long-time listener since episode 150 or so. Jeez, that, that would have been a few years ago, I guess. Quite a few. Yeah. Know. Well, quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> um, but first-time writer. Love the podcast and the crew. Don't worry, Cardi, except for you. I know you can't handle compliments. This is quite funny that Cardi now seems to have picked up. This was a Joe thing. Joe didn't like compliments, but now everybody thinks that Cardi doesn't like them. He loves a compliment. Also, oh. one episode 150, I just quick mental maths is like over 10 years ago. Yeah, Really? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Um, but I have found myself deeply troubled by the recent slander being sent in by listeners surrounding the UK garage segment at the start of the endless search. We... Here we go. Get out your soapbox. 
it's such a dumb thing to say out loud. <laughs> Shall we play some like Land of Hope and Glory in the background? <laughs> we used to be a proper country. UK Garage <laughs> was a staple sound of the mid-1990s to early 2000s. A brutal wave of Englishness pushing back against the dark tides of Europop, invading from the east, while, sim- <laughs> while simultaneously standing ground against pop garbage from the west. It was a golden age of hi-hats, cymbals, and snares woven together by the dulcet tones of modern-day Mo- <laughs> Mozarts. Um, is that Wiley? Yeah, it's yeah. Wiley. Dizzy Rascal and Craig, D- Craig David. <laughs> Unlike today's modern pop rock trash lyrics from UK Garage, <laughs> actually stood for something. Could Beyonce or Taylor Swift have <laughs> have ever given us such lines as? <laughs> Why do I have to do this? Yeah, that was what's funny about it. Na 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 na, pina colada, ice cream shaker. You could be the waitress. I'll be the waiter. <laughs> or I'm on. A, I'm on a next tip. <laughs> I'm on a next tip. Spitting for the checks tip. Spit for your boys and just use it next year. Hey diddle diddle, let me spin another rhythm. <laughs> oh fuck it out. I think not. I will no longer sit idly by while whilst a beloved British institution is desecrated by your, frankly, uneducated commenters. Ooh. As the great MC, I'm going to say grinder. It's grinder. It's from people just do nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. Whose, li- whose lyrical genius was matched only by his razor wit once said, my philosophy in life, yeah, is just like sort of just do whatever, basically. <laughs> <laughs> respect the C, but most importantly, respect to UK Garage. So if people are interested in Garage, like, sincerely, it's a show, it's a mockumentary show called People Just Do Nothing, which is about a pirate UK radio station that play Garage music, but it's recent times. So they're significantly <laughs> out of date and behind the times, but they don't realise it. Oh, they still think they're on 12. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, it, they had a film come out like two years ago, but oh, wow. they they still think they're on the cutting edge of music. Um, <laughs> that sounds it's a, great. It's very good, actually. It's very good. If you like The Office, it's very much of that mm. sort of style as well. Um, we've got one more. I think we've got one more. Yeah, we've mm-hmm. got one more pro. Matt, do you want to take Yeah, this, this one's one? from Michael Gowan, who says, Hey guys, excuse my abruptness, but I'm absolutely appalled. The endless search <laughs> intro surely must be loved by all. I frankly cannot fathom a world where every Friday I do not hear inside. It's the UK IGN crew. Ooh, lovely. I uh, well, you don't actually hear it every Friday. I'm sorry if we've uh, we've upset you, Michael, by the the up and down of the uh, yeah, yeah. the the endless search. I will likely wed my partner to this song, <laughs> serenade Jesus. my child with this song, perhaps even play it at my funeral. The song must stay. I shall storm the streets if the status quo is not maintained. Respect the sea, but more importantly, respect the bloody intro. Thanks, Michael from London. Michael, he said respect the sea, the letter C. That is incorrect. And winky face as well. And you know it. It is the big blue wobbly thing that fish is living. (laughs) Wobbly? Uh, That's a black eyed line. Um, uh, So... I think I think yeah I I I'm thinking the argument is firmly on the side of pro. Mm. Uh, we had so many other emails as well. We couldn't read them all, but so many people in support of the endless tune, endless theme, uh, the endless tune, endless search theme tune is what I was trying to say. That I, I think it has to stick around, but I still think it, it's open to like Matt suggested. Was it last week or the week before? Um, if if you've got a better idea, if you've got a different song, make it, send it in. If we like it, we'll play it. It's like, it's, like it's, the, it's the endless search, right? And we're constantly trying to rotate the game so that we've got yeah. different ones. Why not, if you've got a, an idea for a tune, send it in, we'll rotate the tune. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So if you think you can do better, send it in. But for now, we're going to stick with the banger. But I would Dear. genuinely love to hear some like dreadful fucking tunes that people have created. <laughs> Just some real bad MIDI crap. I'll send you some links. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's get back to our regular programming. And we got some normal feedback. Uh, this first one's from Lewis Glover. Uh, he, he did have a huge paragraph about the Endless Search uh, theme. He was very pro, but I'm going to skip that because we've spoken about that at length. 
Um, Louis says, just a quick question. As someone who is also expecting to become a father this year, congratulations, Louis. Uh, what is a video game name you would recommend for naming a child in 2023? I have suggested Atreus to my wife and she really liked it. That is until she looked up the name online and the first thing that popped up was God of War. Uh, keep up the work, great work and respecting the sea each week. Um, Alan Wake. <laughs> Alan, yeah. I mean, Lewis, honestly, I would say I wouldn't choose a video game name yeah. for a child because you don't want to be like the people who named their kid Khaleesi. Yeah, you know? so it's many like obvious, Arias. Though, isn't it? it dates pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, however your choice, what I would suggest is uh, middle names are always good for mm. a little bit of flair. You know, if, if you want to if you want to choose a name, that's something about what you love, but also don't want to necessarily put the child in a bad position for the rest <laughs> of their life. Then uh, maybe give them a cool middle name. Maybe Atreus is a cool middle name. But yeah, I don't know. Octopath. Any- <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like solid snake <laughs> smith jim solid snake smith. Oh, sorry glover is solid <laughs> yeah. glover um wasn't there an actual video game character called glover as well oh yeah, yeah. the glove oh, oh yeah. yeah call it glover glover there you go <laughs> if it's a boy <laughs> uh but yes i would um perhaps not recommend it i did notice t- today i saw an article going around that saying that gary has now become a really popular name again for babies this year really that's yeah, my brother's name we were convinced that it died off with mm-hmm. him you know bizarre yeah i don't think i've ever met a gary Ooh. you've not met you've not never spoken to anybody over 36 years old <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh cool all right the next one uh it's matt you're gonna read yeah it? this one's from this one has a surprise celebrity encounter in it to a certain degree this one's from kai mckenzie who says hi ign uk team i was listening to the pod the other week when dale cardi and matt of a matt said they weren't fans of jamiroquai i don't think i said that <laughs> i think i said there was a period of time where i thought jamiroquai was going to be my thing and then it was like <laughs> how did that how did that occur for you to think that was a transition that was going to happen and then what stopped it uh what stopped it was common sense um but i was just i was young enough where i was just like looking for you know my like you know everyone at like 14 15 16 they're like they look for their musical identity and they try to be a part of it and i i think um virtual insanity and deeper underground and some of the of his hits come out around that time i just thought maybe i'll get into jamiroquai so i went and bought some of his cds singles and then I quickly realised I, I kind of liked some of these singles, but I didn't really, I wasn't that interested beyond that. So that was it. That's a really fair. interesting story. That's fair. Well, <laughs> this is where the surprise celebrity encounter element comes in, because it's not just an encounter. It's a, a family relation. Yeah. Kai says, I had to write in as my dad is the drummer of the band, Derek <laughs> McKenzie. And the guys were mistaking the lead singer, JK, as the band as a whole, which you just did. You said uh, you you referred to Jamiroquai as a he. Yeah, I mean, I know that it's a band, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it just... I I would say I didn't know that. It's like Bon Jovi. Yes, I understand It's a similar sort Mm -hmm. of thing, you know, like you you just slip into these languages. Because Bon Jovi is the band, but John Bon Jovi is the front man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Van Halen is another one, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kai says it's a nitpicky correction, but I had to defend the honour, the honour of the wider band. Uh, And she gets to slot into uh, someone who... Listen to the podcast that has a famous dad, which I'm sure we've had occasionally before. I think at some point it, it turned out like Mark Kermode's kids listens to oh, us. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird. Um, Jen's dad is famous, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a famous he, musician. Yeah, maybe maybe not in the uh, the the fame echelon of uh, JK and Jamiroquai, but yeah, he's uh, he's the I think the lead in like a like a big touring like rock band. Yeah. Just yeah. So you know the band, right? Oh called? shit! I've forgotten the name. <laughs> My mind just went <laughs> blank. Um, but oh, Kai says, me, if, if you'd like some good recommendation recommendations outside of virtual insanity and deeper underground, I'd recommend listening to some of the tracks below: "Too Young to Die," "Emergency on Planet Earth," "Bullet Slipping and Sliding," "Instrumentals," "Don't Give Chance," uh, "Don't Give Hate a Chance," and "Vitamin." On the subject of sparkling versus still water, yeah, when, when did that happen? Uh, um... Did, that's one of those conversations, right, that I felt like I it wasn't on the podcast. Like I was just talking to people <laughs> normally. And then someone messages me and I'm like, oh shit, that was on the podcast. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> like somebody messaged me yesterday about um uh about babies 
that fart loads. <laughs> babies do loads of farts and no one tells you about that. And I was like, oh my God, I said that on the podcast. I do not remember saying that. Yeah, I, I yeah don't. babies fart loads, mate. Uh, uh, it enough. doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, on the topic of sparkling versus still water, which we apparently have had at some point, uh, yeah. sparkling water is a grown-up drink which one can appreciate with a mature palate and tonic water is is only nice when it's paired with a premium gin unless until you're at least three doubles deep. That's bullshit. Sparkling, Spar- water, sparkling water is horrible. Yeah, it's just like... I don't, I, get... I don't mind it. I think I've grown to appreciate it, like maybe over the past year. No. I feel like that's the, the Spanish side of you, though. I don't know what, like, mm. what evidence I have for this. But I feel like your food tastes sometimes align more, you know, with your Spanish heritage as opposed to... Yeah, I see that. I see yeah. that. Feels like a very European thing, basically, it, sparkling water. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very much more appreciated on the continent than it is yeah. out here. <laughs> uh, regarding the endless search being bad, I would compare it to a Souls game, where when you're bad at it, it's awful. So to my fellow listener who said they did not enjoy the segment, I would say this. Get good. Respect the sea, Kai. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kai. Multiple I mean, uh, topics from Kai there. Yeah, he wasn't saying the Inner Search game is bad. He's saying the theme is mm. bad. You can't d- get good at listening to a theme. <laughs> I do want to know why they recommended Bullet, Slipping and Sliding, just the instrumental versions. Does that suggest the actual lyrical versions are bad? Maybe their only instrument? I don't know. The only one I've heard of them is Emergency on Planet Earth, but I think that was the title of an album as well. Okay. I vaguely remember. Yeah. Probably not gonna have a resurgence of Jamiroquai for band um, this year, I'm afraid. But cool that you cool that your dad's involved in that. And mm. He's a drummer. That's cool. Uh, Jesse, you got the final email. Yes, this is from Chris. Goes on to say, "Hi, IGN crew. A long, long time ago, when I saved up to make the jump from Mega Drive to PlayStation One, I bought it secondhand, and it came with only one game: Resident Evil." <laughs> This was a little too complex and terrifying for my young mind, so I didn't really get very far with it at the time. Since I spent all my money on the console, I initially couldn't afford to buy any more games, but fortunately, the seller bundled in a plastic bag full of about 50 demo discs. Damn. Let me tell you, I spent ages going through all of these so many times and remember spending a stupid amount of time just replaying one level from Crash Bandicoot and Tomb Raider. I feel like I had a demo disc on the PS1 that had Tomb Raider on it. It was like a nighttime level i just really yeah. like seared into my brain but he goes and say many years later i purchased zone of the enders for one reason only to get the yeah. bundled demo for metal gear solid 2 i spent much longer playing that demo than the actual game i bought in fact i played that demo longer than i played many games but now it seems the day of the demo is dead i rarely see many games on the playstation network or switch store that boast playable demos it seems like it'll be easier than ever to get demos on on there with the digital capabilities of new consoles. So what do you think caused the demise of the demo? Respect the C. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's probably interesting. Just, probably just takes too much time to put it's, it it's together. De- it's development. So, yeah. so the problem is uh, these days is that uh, as you're seeing with all of these companies fucking <laughs> making layoffs and all of the, the issues that we've got in the wider industry at the moment, it's very difficult to make games and we are spending more money and more time than we ever have. Well, we as in like the industry to make games and so therefore the the timeline is very constrained and so to make a demo what you have to have is essentially if we think about demos as it's normally a sample level right yeah. not mm. that many games actually have levels anymore we're in an era of open worlds and stuff like that but if you were able to take a level that level needs to be like spruced up and complete and ready to put out as a demo potentially kind of like up to a month before the game comes out uh, most games these days aren't simply aren't like they are not built linearly like the first level of the game is not <laughs> built and packaged up and ready at the start of development and just yeah. sitting around ready to be a demo these levels sometimes don't even come into like their conceptual point like you know where everything is working on a conceptual level very late in development and so because everything is made in tandem, mm. a section of the game is never is very rarely ready until the end of development. So it's very difficult to have like a part and parcel bit ready in modern development yeah. terms. I would say I got one counterpoint to that is um, when you work in the industry, obviously we get to go to a lot of preview events and sometimes they can be like quite contained. Like for mm-hmm. example, the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth one I did yeah. was very contained. It had a, card that came up at the end faded to black and say thanks for playing which absolutely felt like it it could be a demo um whether they 
are happy with putting that in the hands well, that's, of a wider audience. That's, that's the thing I think is sort of like as press, we're we're expected to understand that the yeah. what we're seeing is not a final product. Um, yeah. People in the wider audience, and I'm sure everybody listening to our podcast who is au fait with games would understand that it's not representative of the final build, right? And like the balancing might not be right. There might literally be bugs all over the place. I've played everything from demos that felt very polished at at like a preview event to ones that felt like the game was falling apart. And uh, we- I've I've literally had demos, I won't say games, that have, they're just broken. Yeah. And they just will not work. And they've completely hard crashed and they apologize and they were like, this isn't going to work because it's so early in development or Mm -hmm. they've still got problem solved. You said with the Alan Wake trip that you did, like it shows you how to the wire they are sometimes, Mm -hmm. which was presented to you as like relatively final product. Um, But then as soon as they saw you struggling with things, they're like, okay, back to the drawing board. Yes, we're going to rethink it. Uh, So it's it's always an ongoing thing. And yes, perhaps there's an element of fear about putting a demo out in the wild as well. Um, There is the equivalent of demos these days on PlayStation specifically, which is the timed demos right mm-hmm. which is the full game but yeah. you uh it timed out after an hour i believe and you i think your progress carries over um, yeah. so there is equivalence and there yeah. is some demos i do see yeah. like mm-hmm. some demos popping up i think but, it's, uh, it's just rare to see them in the way i remember playing games like a couple of months before they were coming out you get the demo and you'd be able to see what they were going to be like when they were coming up yeah. that yeah. just simply doesn't exist in that format right like mm. the, the the there was the lies of p demo that i was very surprised because that reminded me of an old school like that came out yeah. what three months before the game came out yeah I, I think the last sort of example i can think of that i ever really was like i need to play this demo was buying a copy of Dragon's Dogma, a game mm-hmm. I didn't care about initially, just for Resident Evil 6. And then I discovered Dragon's Dogma was a lot better. <laughs> well, uh, Resident Evil have always been pretty good with demos. Like they, they're, yeah. they're ones that still do them. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, release. actually. Uh, but maybe, you know, sometimes you think maybe it's like Japanese sentiment with these things. Maybe they, mm. they think they view it in a different way. Uh, but the... Um, I guess there's a couple of factors why it used to be so prevalent. And one, it was um, it was a way to sell magazines. Mm-hmm. Like it was a device to sell magazines and set yours apart. Uh, but also we're so like inundated with marketing for games these days. It's so easy to target us, and to mm. find us. But yeah, like, you know, 30 years ago, not so easy, right? Apart from the, you, your only real step was doing adverts and magazines and television, which was very cost prohibitive i imagine so it probably made a sense and like you said matt they were like lots of games back in the day very confined to levels and it was quite easy to sort of like just pull a level mm-hmm. out of a game yeah um but yeah like the young version of me absolutely appreciate i was playing demos on yeah floppy disk one demo discs <laughs> and stuff you know like um all sorts of ones but yeah i remember sort of the early playstation demo discs. i used to just absolutely rinse them i yeah. remember randomly i remember there was a game called I think it was called like felony 1179 or something like that. It's not good at all, but there's like, it's a race, it's a racing game. Uh, but I remember playing that one level so many times. Yeah. I, like just because I had nothing else to play mm-hmm. and I would go through the demo list and there was games that I weren't even interested in, but I would go and play the demos just because I had nothing else to play. I used to buy OPM all the time, like, yeah. like particularly in the PlayStation two era. I can remember, uh, going to um, a news agents and seeing they got the new issue of OPM and it got a demo for Final Fantasy X on it. And then when I went back home to get some money and came back, that <laughs> issue had gone. And I got um, my dad to drive me to like five different news agents looking for a copy of this just to play what was essentially what, like t- 20 minutes of Final Fantasy X? Yeah, um, mad, but I, I can remember those like demos being almost as big an event as a game coming mm. out, like being able yeah. to taste what was coming. It does seem crazy to me just to like, because I, I, I remember like my mum buying me, I don't know, like game magazines that had like PS1 demo discs or PS2 demo discs. And I just feel like it was crazy just to have those magazines all sort of like out there with the discs just attached to them, just there that you can just grab. It just seems like that wouldn't happen at all anymore. Well, it's just a, it's just quite archaic, isn't it? Like, yeah, there would, yeah. No re- there would be no reason to. I don't know if OPM still do, and I'm sure they don't do physical discs, but... Yeah, I wasn't sure if they did something like, you know, like, oh, here's a link or you can download it or something. I don't know. There's just um, packing giveaways now. There's like the, <laughs> yeah. the, the era of the, the, 
the magazine mounted mm-hmm. demo regardless of whether it was a download or not i know that pc gamer you can get like dlc download codes they'll give away right. um mm-hmm. but like pc gamer used to get demo discs that might have had like a hundred demos on them if you've got yeah. a good one like and, and that I, just I w- I was going to say, I would say there's like, there are some modern equivalents, at least specifically in PC gaming, where I've played like really, really cool, like horror, like PC horror game compilations. And it's like, you know, 15 or 20 indie devs putting together a bunch of different like horror games with one sort of central theme and stuff. And it's tied in. It's like, there is like a, like a horror, like sort of like a PS1 horror demo disc. Yeah. kind of thing on pc that you can but i think the the thing there is that goes back to the development right is that it's not triple a yeah. developers you're seeing do that it's yeah, indie developers yeah, yeah. that have very different development pipelines and also you know i think one of the reasons why demo discs initially went away was also part to the do is we got demo discs were originally a way of really coaxing people into try our game and you'll love it and you'll go and buy it i think people then realized in the era remember when pre-orders were a massive part of like the the, yeah. the structure People like, if we let people try our game and they realize it's shit, they'll cancel their pre-order. So there was, I think a lot of that was to do with kind of like the initial demise of the demo. Mm. The amount of games I, I mean, I think it's partly down to me being older and more cynical now as well, but the amount of games I boot up and play for 30 minutes and think, not for me, turn it off, never play it again. Whereas if I saw it on a shelf and I had no idea what it played like, Mm. I might be tempted to buy it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, you know, that's a very personal point of view from i think i think at the very least you have you know countless people doing a bunch of different reviews all tailored to different tastes and personality types you have streamers who you know play through these games like there's a wealth of information for you to find and experience before you buy the game anyhow everybody knows everything now like that's the thing there's no there's no mystery anymore like Mm. um like I said, the demo disc genuinely used to be a way to discover games I'd never heard of yeah. mm. and find out that, oh, I'm actually interested in this and I, I want to find out more. It was a great marketing tool, mm-hmm. but it was very much of an era and that era is sort of long gone. I suppose you could also argue, you know, early act, Steam early access and stuff is kind of, a, you know, an equivalent, one equivalent of sort of getting people in the door yeah. to pay full price for a game and we have things like um steam next fest which is a demo festival of all of these things but they work yeah. at a very different tier level right like where when we were kids those demos were for triple a video games or mm. and a lot of b kind of b grade yeah. sort of games as well whereas that like world now exists on steam for the indie kind of like layer and i yeah. guess the closest that we've got now is that things have changed and morphed and it's it's game pass to a certain extent like yeah. And that unlocks an ability for the general kind of player that people of the press have had for years, right? Is that we quite often have the ability to... uh, IGN has a huge library of games that we get given by the publishers. So we can pretty much play what we want and try it. And if it's not for us, we don't carry on. And that Mm. was something that normal players couldn't have for, for decades, essentially. Now they're at a point where you can pay a subscription fee to Game Pass and you can just try whatever you want. Yeah. And and that is your way of your demo and your selection and your taste. And I just want to try this for 20 minutes and that will tell me if I actually want to play it for 40 hours. Uh, ultimately, yeah. I think it's, it's sort of like, it, I've done that definitely on Game Pass. I've done, there's so many games I probably wouldn't have bothered with, but I thought, mm. oh, I'll, I'll download it and give it a whirl, see if it's for me. And I do think it, it sort of um, negates the idea of feeling like you have to stick with something because you've spent a lot of money on it yeah. even if you may not enjoy it you might be tricking yourself into thinking you enjoy it mm. where you take the money the money side of it out of the equation and it's, then it's like yeah pure opinion yeah. Mm-hmm. even done that with like xbox cloud and stuff if you have game pass and then you can just stream it quick like it might not be great quality but you can check it out for 10 15 minutes and then install it and play like yeah, it's good. So long so short, yeah, the demo disc has gone away, but the uh, the essence of it still survives, I think, in just mm. in different forms these days. It's just evolved. And Chris, I understand, you're nostalgic for a time that once was. So am I. But, you know, <laughs> times change. Um, saying that, though, uh, I am interested in hearing people's thoughts on demo discs and uh, maybe maybe what, like, one of their particular favourite demo discs was and, like, mm. what compilation out of Because... It was always, it wasn't just excitement of one game being on there. It was mm-hmm. always like, what What are the five yeah. games you've got on there? Um, so yeah, like, write in with your, your demo disc stories to uh, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Also, if you've got, if you've, if we've got any more contrarians for the, uh, the endless <laughs> search theme, by all means, let us know what you think. Let's keep this debate going. Mm, I would say uh, if you wanted more garage, the PS1 UK demo discs 
the songs they had in that, I swear, was usually like dodgy was electronic it? garage and stuff for the demo. I swear it was like that. I don't remember that. But I'd have to yeah. double check. But I remember the music being like garagey. Do you know, kinda. like, here's a, here's a, a random little factoid. Uh, there was a <laughs> Wipeout demo once on a PlayStation thing. And I swear there's a story out there once. So I started doing preliminary research on it where there was a way to that whole something like the whole game was on the demo disc because <laughs> it was easier for them. In the past. and yeah and if, if you were clever with it so i can't remember there's some sort of trick involved but you could unlock the full game by doing it <laughs> that's sick there's lots of mad things like that and again that's probably a resource thing it's probably easier for them to just stick the whole game on than it was to code out and, mm-hmm. and break mm. it but anyway uh that was good that was that was uh I thought we were going to run short this episode, but we ended up having a massive demo chat at the end and sort of like filled out the time. Uh, thanks, guys. That was good fun. Um, have we got music? What we're going to play at the end? What are we thinking? Uh, clearly, separate ways by Journey. Uh, clearly, what what music from Separate Ways? No, no, by Journey, Separate Ways. Oh right, okay. <laughs> yeah. all right, yeah. Oh, well, there I was sort go, of yeah. hoping there was like a Jamiroquai song called Separate Ways, which would have made this perfect. I'm actually gonna before I commit to Journey, <laughs> I'm gonna Google this after the show and see if there's a Jamiroquai song called Separate Ways. <laughs> and if it is, that's going in. Sick. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, thanks. Have a good day. Bye. 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 What does they have a good day? Ended that like it's a fucking meeting, idiot. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.